It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome to Sunday School Dropouts, the podcast where an ex-Christian and a non-believing sort of Jew read all the way through the Bible for the first time. My name is Nico Bakulich. And I'm Lauren O'Neill. And let's get biblical. Let's get biblical. I want to apologize <clears throat> up front for my squeaky voice. I'm getting over a cold. Which is why we didn't have an episode last week. Apologies for that. You and... know we like to keep content consistent. <laughs> and you know... piping fresh. Mm -hmm. Fresh tent and... Fresh land. <laughs> uh, apologies if I cough during this podcast. Just pretend that I've lived a very um, interesting life, glamorous life of, of whiskey and cigarettes. And now I have emphysema and I'm dying. I am the ex-Christian. I was raised Presbyterian. I'm now an atheist. And I'm the non-believing sort of Jew. Also, this is not a Christian Bible study podcast. And it is not appropriate for children. Also, I'm reading the New International Version of the Bible. And I'm reading the NRSV, New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. Oh yeah, mine's the NIV, NIV. Today we're talking about the Book of Romans. So... Epistle to the Romans. I never heard of this book before. Okay. This is coming at me from nowhere. I see. It's like somebody just picked a random book from off the shelf and handed it to me, except it was in the Bible. My first impressions were... Not good. <laughs> well, um, this is considered to be Paul's like master work. And he should be disappointed about that, in so my opinion. So it's all downhill from here. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, no. What uh, what gave you those those gnarly vibes? You know, the GVs I was getting off of this thing, mm -hmm. mostly due to its similarity to a sermon, I guess. Mm -hmm. Like, it's trying to explain things to me. Mm -hmm. It's trying to be like, hey, it's perfectly logical that X, Y, and Z are true about the story of Jesus as it relates to your life. Yes. And I say, hello, it's not logical. hello fellow. That don't make no sense. That don't compute. Mm -hmm. Well, um, would and you like to hear? Yes. In the famous words of Hal, that don't compute. <laughs> would you like to hear some fast facts about I would love Romans. some fast facts. So... It is a uh, like an open letter um, written by Paul to Christians in Rome, mm -hmm. Christian community in Rome. He took um, out a, a full page in the New York Times. I mean, that's kind of what it is. Uh. Um, and it's written in Koine Greek, um, as is the rest of the New Testament. And I believe this is the first time that the person who supposedly wrote the book is actually, wrote actually the, the person who wrote the book. <laughs> I see. I see. As far as I know. And it was probably written 
while he was in Corinth in Greece. Oh. Um, right before he went back to Jerusalem and got arrested. Right. And spent like a bunch of years in like house arrest. Corinth seems like a lovely place to go. We should go sometime. Um, well, Paul, I think, would agree with you. Mm-hmm. But he is looking to go somewhere else right now. And well, I mean, he, that's his jam. He writes with regrets to Rome that he hasn't been able to visit them. Oh. He's just been like so busy, you know, it's like like there's work deadlines and like my sister like just um really needed help with her new baby and like I don't know, I was just like spending a lot of time like finding myself and so I'm just like I can't make it to Rome right now. Um also it's like the year 50 and there's no planes <laughs> and I'm in Greece. Mm. And he, or at least that's what your history books will tell you. <laughs> he is like, I love you all. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, however, people who don't believe in Jesus are literal scum and deserve death. <laughs> okay, so let's do this. Let's run this book down. And I dare you to fucking make sense of this to me. Because this this <laughs> turned into absolute mush the moment it entered my brain balls. Okay. Um, I'm not sure that you know how anatomy works, but no, I mean, I don't worry about it. I went to school. (laughs) Um, but as soon as this stuff hit my eye, your brain balls, yeah, my, my eye heads. Oh, is that what you call eyes? Brain balls? Mm -hmm. Yeah. They are balls that are connected directly to the brain. That's right. They're my brain balls. Yeah. So as soon as this stuff leapt off the page Mm -hmm. and I don't mean that as a compliment Mm -hmm. and hit my brain balls, Mm -hmm. it turned into mush, Mm -hmm. but not the good kind of mush that my brain is made out of or. Uh The tasty mush you eat for breakfast. Oh, what kind of mush was this? This is Garbo mush. Oh, Garbo mush. (laughs) Classic Greta Garbo mush. I am very sorry to hear that. Um, It picks up a little in the back half, but this first (laughs) half, you got to You got to help me on this. Okay, I'll do my best. So first of all, we got to talk about everyone deserves death who doesn't believe in Jesus. Right. Um, Especially gay people. (laughs) Uh, People who have been worshiping idols. Yeah, it, it's just a big, sh- it's a sharp change in tone from the, in chapter one, it starts off like, hey guys, we all love each other and we're all like part of the same Christian community. But here are some of the rules. And <laughs> if you don't obey them, you literally quote unquote deserve death. And then like the literal next sentence is, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Yeah. So didn't you just... Like, literally the last sentence you were judging Passing that people needed to die. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that seems to be very self-contradictory. But he's all is he speak, he's supposed to be speaking with, like, Jesus' voice in a certain kind of way, right? Like, some of it, he's mm-hmm. not saying, this is what Paul thinks. He's, like, saying, based on scripture and on the story of Jesus, this is what's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's not, you know, personally laying judgment on people. He's just saying, like, God is the only one that can judge. For example, he <laughs> people men who lay with men or right. whatever. Yeah. yeah, um, that is um a super annoying verse because it's the only homophobic verse in the New Testament, mm. and we could have just kept that shit in Leviticus, you know. <laughs> and then way been, back in the past, yeah, said everybody gets to ride this fucking Paul train yeah. to homophobia town. Yep, which is lovely this time. Of year. <laughs> um, <clears throat> apart from that confusing. U-turn. I do like the message that, you know, humans can't judge because all humans sin. I agree. Leave judgment up to God. Yeah. 
Pobody's nerfect. Mm-hmm. That's the main message of St. Paul. <laughs> That's right. Um, tells Jewish Christians to stop bragging about how like they're God's chosen people. Um, and how like they haven't spent the last few centuries worshiping Zeus like an idiot. And he's like, just because you're circumcised doesn't mean that you're better than everyone else. So what's because, his what's his argument against Jews here? I mean, he's going to explore that for the whole book, and mm-hmm. we're going to talk about it in you know from a few different angles. I Unless think something happens. Um, but I think the first thing that he's laying out is like, okay, the law is great. God, it's God's law mm-hmm. um, that He gave to His chosen people. Um, but you can ignore. This section, that section, and this other section. Well, he's saying, like, basically the law is to help. He says it helps humans understand what sin is. Okay. Um, But we're all going to end up breaking the law because, quote, you know, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Mm-hmm. It's a famous Bible verse. Everybody's going to mess up. Um, And the law can't clear us of sin. The only thing that can actually clear us of sin is... This new thing that God did where he used Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement. I see. And that counts for everyone whether they follow this law or not because it's like it like supersedes the law. Basically, we can't become righteous. Righteous is the word he uses. Mm. Um, I don't know what the what the Greek is. Humans can't become righteous on their own. They need God to grant that to them. Okay. Um, and for some reason... God decided to grant that to us by doing this very complicated sacrifice thing where he sent his own son slash himself down to earth Mm -hmm. to die. And so his son is like this physical vessel for all of the like earthly sin and shit like that. Yes. And it's like, you know, straight up. Does anybody like have a developed understanding of this theology? I mean, um, like, like on a, on a day-to-day basis like i understand like deacons and like priests and whatever probably are pretty good at it but like people at church um are they like oh you know like paul said in romans like jesus came down and i don't know if the average person would be able to say like paul said in romans Mm. but the very center of christianity is that jesus died for your sins and that right and that that is the only way that you can be forgiven of sin is because of jesus that so that's like something every single practicing Christian knows. I would say most of them do not have like a bunch of theology around that, uh-huh. but I mean, it's probably for the better. When it's probably for the better because it doesn't make any sense. This yeah. yeah. <clears throat> this is what I was thinking while reading this is that Paul is doing a really good job of like building a lot of like structure into this and like trying to lay out the exact mechanics of how it works. He's doing a good job. I mean, Yes, in that <laughs> if you don't like without this, it's it very like he's trying to explain something that makes no sense. Right. So he's like, but isn't there enough info in the Gospels to like figure out your life? There's not really because in the Gospels, I think. It's not super clear that Jesus died like as a sacrifice for our sins. I think it's it's more the just in the Gospels seems to be more like. This proves that he's God's son. This proves that he's the Messiah. He's defeated death. Yeah. I don't think it's it's built up into this. It's called substitutional atonement is the name of the basic like uh, philosophy. Okay. And I think that's like what 
Paul is building here. Okay. You, I mean, everybody understands that that's crazy, right? No. It's bizarre that people don't understand that it's crazy. <laughs> because I just mean, and I don't mean it's crazy in that well, it's like it, modern... can't, it can't like have some truth to people. But what I'm saying is, what does it have to do with a I know. person's life? This this is what I was thinking about is like I, I very much like I appreciate the symbolism of like Jesus dying mm-hmm. for us. Like someone um making a great sacrifice for other people is like a very um powerful and primal symbol that yes. uh, that anyone understands intuitively and, and can be moved by. I agree. Um <clears throat> however, this stuff that Paul is saying that's like what the church is going to be built around. And it's what like all modern Christians like study and, and come up with like these just more and more complex ways to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just seems like so unnecessary <laughs> when you come at, like when you when you come at it from outside the religion. Yeah. It's like when I was in that religion, it was just a given to me like that. God, like Jesus had to die. Otherwise, humans could not go to heaven. And then when you're out of the religion, it's like, why would that make any sense? Right. Like, I, I understand, like, <clears throat> the symbolism of self-sacrifice. Great. I understand um, a religion based on, um, you know, like, saying that a god will reward or punish you for certain behaviors. Like, sure. that makes sense to build into a religion. Um, and I even understand sort of, like, okay, if you're in this one, like, country or city-state or whatever— And you, you know, your society thinks of debt this way and does sacrifices this way and thinks of like, um, you know, payment in this way that you might come up with like, okay, well, we know we have to like give certain types of sacrifices to God for different things. And so, you know, if God was going to like forgive all our sins, he would have to do like a sacrifice like that, like we do, you know, Mm. That, that makes sense for like one society. I don't understand. How did it become the foundational not just the like the the mo- the biggest religion in the world uh-huh. and like ever right. in history mm-hmm. and also the foundation of like western society or one of the foundations it's like bizarre that's what i was thinking when you were saying that this was like the masterwork of his of paul's theology here and it's so arbitrary and strange it does seem super arbitrary when you come at it like you come at it from an angle of like not knowing any of this, not taking any of this for granted. I mean, I've read the Old Testament and the Gospels. Right. Um, And I feel like I have a, a, like dec- a, yeah, a decent yeah. understanding. Not yeah. like, you know, again, like not like a deacon or a priest or whatever. But even coming from it from that angle, having read all of this stuff and being prepared to accept stuff, this seems like just... I don't I don't understand yeah, what, and, what you're talking about. And this is like what defines Christianity. Like this became the defining feature. Especially when he explains it as if I already understand. Like I feel like I missed a couple of chapters in between the Gospels and Romans. You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it kind of does seem like that. And And from my perspective, I'm like, it almost seems like he's from like modern times. How so? Like, because... Theology is built like largely on Paul's writing. Like Christian theology is like largely built on Paul's writings. Mm-hmm. Um, it it uses and has used for many years, you know, for centuries, like kind of the same phrasing that he does, mm-hmm. and um, like in order that we might be saved is like sure. how everybody still phrases it, yeah. even though nobody talks like that right. anymore. 
Um, so reading it, I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, this is, if you picked up a pamphlet that was written by any church, like, it would read exactly like this. But it's from 2,000 years ago. Hmm. So what you're saying is they need a fresh new style? I mean, it wouldn't hurt to, like, pivot a little. <laughs> pivot into what? Yeah, they could pivot to, like, you know, giving out, like, cupcakes and, and well, wine is good. They should stick with the wine. I see. I see. They should stick with what works. Yeah. Mm. And food service? Food service is very risky, though. Very high overhead. I mean, but the church already has so much prime real estate. That's true. Food service is just about real estate. Real estate and labor. And location. Mm-hmm. Food service is location, location, location. Anyway, Paul is talking about Jews. And he's talking about <laughs> Abraham, the father of Jews. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> Sounds weird when you say it. <laughs> he was righteous, Abraham, because he like believed in the one true God, not because of his works. Okay, yeah. Here we get into the whole works <clears throat> versus faith thing. And also... He was circumcised because he was righteous. He wasn't righteous because he was circumcised. I just want to pause because this is another thing where it's like when you're reading the Bible and you're taking everything for granted and you're in the religion, you just accept everything as normal. But then from outside the religion, why is there so much fucking emphasis on circumcision? Like, why is this a central feature of the society when you don't even see each other's dicks all the time? Like, I would understand if it was like, oh, like we all, you know, like facial scars or whatever. Or, yeah, yeah. Or like we all wear our hair in this way uh-huh. or whatever, like wear a, a headscarf or a, like, you know, something that, that everybody sees all the time. But why is it? Why does it have to be about their dicks? Why is it? This whole book, Romans talks about circumcision like 50 times. And it's like the true circumcision is circumcising your heart. Why is that like the defining feature of purity is like it's your insane. Foreskin. It's so weird. Yeah. I don't know. But if you're imagining scenarios where old timey patriarchs are showing each other their dicks. I mean, they must have. Otherwise, like, I mean, I don't know what what are the situations in which they're seeing each other's dicks? Like because there must be some. Otherwise, this could not be like the main symbol. Right. This could not be the defining feature of Judaism. Unless people were. Uh, peeping those gooses all the time. Sometimes, at least, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I mean, like, I guess you. Uh, Were there like a lot of schwitzes? Were there a lot of like so, I mean, shower rooms? Schwitz is not, it's not a, like a, a Sephardic Jew thing. <laughs> Were there a lot of shower rooms? Also, not popular in the patriarch's <laughs> days. <laughs> like, honestly, uh, so you might be taking it out to pee in the ditch. Peeing in the ditch. Uh, that's literally the only reason I could think that you might take a peek at that uh, that hose at that hose yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) because you might creep on that crane (laughs) crane Mm -hmm. his long neck (laughs) Um, also he says about Abraham that he was um, righteous because he believed God's promise that he would have children even though quote he was nearly dead. His body was as good as dead mm-hmm. since he was about 100 years old. He's a withered old, a withered old husk of a man, 100 years old. Um, <clears throat> here's a good example of um, what you're talking about in terms of like there's some stuff missing. Sure. Um, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character and character hope. Like each of those seems to be a very large leap. 
And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And that's what I'm saying. This is the the sermonizing stuff where I'm like, okay, you're talking to somebody that is already on board and I'm not on board. Like I'm, I, I need to be sold a little bit more. Like you yeah. Have to, you have to walk me through this a little. Either walk me through it or tell me the story that make that makes it all make sense. That's what the Gospels did well. Is they just told a story and and the things that you infer from that. Yes. And I think that for humans generally, a story is usually more powerful than a logical argument. Mm-hmm. He gets into this a little now in chapter six. Um, well, he says, um, I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Mm-hmm. So he's like, OK, let me try and like break it down into human terms. Um, <clears throat> if you're baptized in Jesus's name, you're baptized into his death. Which seems like imprecise like terminology. I agree. Um, so your old self died on the cross with him and you are no longer a slave to sin and death. But now you are a slave to righteousness and God. You're looking confused. I mean, yeah, it's, it seems very extreme. John the Baptist never said anything like this. And he was, his name is literally the Baptist. <laughs> well, <clears throat> he was just baptizing with water. And we saw in Acts, we've moved forward to baptizing in the Holy Spirit. Oh, the Holy Spirit. Vodka. <laughs> Amanda Shevitz. Um it's Not the Spirit. Okay. <laughs> okay. There's a famous verse here, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But that's crazy because everybody dies. I mean, Well, it, no, it, you even, don't anymore. No, his point is that you die, but then you're resurrected, right? Um, like, don't you get a second life where like... Yeah, but like you, your soul never dies. Well, that's not what he says. He says you never die. <laughs> yeah, but he, by, by you, he means like your soul, your spirit. I mean, Jesus died. Well... Death had no mastery over him anymore. Like, he broke death. Oh, just like Kim Kardashian broke the internet that yeah, one time? Yeah, yeah. It's a shame what's happened since then. I could really use the internet these days, but <laughs> it's broken. Yeah, we could really use death, too, but it's gone. Oh, really? Now the population is at 7 billion, and there's not enough food for anyone. There are several things wrong with that. <laughs> Look, this is all in the Bible. This is what it says. Mm. In chapter 7, he... Gets back to his point about the law versus, like, works versus faith, right? Following the law is works. Yeah, and you and, might need to give me a an overview of that. Yeah, so, well, he says something really interesting that um, I don't think I had encountered it before. Um, he says, like, okay, so the law exists to help you understand sin. The problem with that is that when you understand sin, then you can sin more easily. Ah. I guess because, like... Adam it's like if Eve. no one ever told you that people had like fetishes for this one thing, then you're like, oh, my God, that's hot as shit. I didn't know about that. Yeah. Why didn't somebody tell me? Yeah. So okay. it's like Adam and Eve were like totally ignorant. So they like couldn't sin. But then when they got knowledge. Yeah, they had knowledge of zero fetishes. So it was just like pure vanilla. Yeah. And then when they like learned about like snake play, <laughs> <laughs> then that really fucked humanity over. So. <sighs> I mean, God is the original kink shamer. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, so he gives us an example. Like, there's the commandment. They've been living together for a thousand years in the Garden of Eden. Like, come on. It's like time to like spice it up a little, absolutely. right? Like, you know, things get stale, and that's not. They couldn't read. There were no books. <laughs> it's not their fault. Like, that's just, you know, it happens to everyone. Mm-hmm. 
and everybody learns to deal with it in a new way. Um, he says, reading the commandment, do not covet. If he hadn't read that, he wouldn't understand what coveting was and that he like wasn't supposed to do it. Mm. However, the fact that he then understood it meant that he was filled with covetousness. And the quote is, um, the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. And then he goes on to say, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, that I keep doing. Mm-hmm. So I 100% understood that. <clears throat> I, I mean, do know it was something about probiotics, the good stuff that lives in me. <laughs> it is about microbiomes. Um, but like I do um, sort of appreciate this paradox. Because I think that it represents at least my consciousness pretty mm. well. That there's often times that I want to, there's stuff I know I should be doing and I don't do it or vice versa. That seems like a human condition. Yeah. Um, and one that I think he's expressing. And it's it's sort of a paradoxical condition. And I think that his going around in circles does a good job of expressing the paradoxicality of that. Yeah. Um, however, it is part of this thing that I've talked about in, in previous episodes of like, what was ultimately the most toxic thing about Christianity to me, Christianity to me, which was humans are a hundred percent sin mm-hmm. and everything that you do bad is your fault, but everything good is from God. And like, you don't deserve anything good in and of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then he kind of builds on that in the next chapter with, uh, if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And, if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die, but by the spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body. So it's like part of why I want to like not have a body and, and just want to be uploaded to the cloud. It's because of Christianity? Yes. Oh. Because it's like the body is like this disgusting sack that just is full of sin mm-hmm. and nothing good comes from it, which is weird because the thing that struck me the most when I was reading the Gospels is how physical and bodily Jesus was. Ah, that's a good point. Which was, that was like the most surprising thing to me from the entire Gospels. Because this attitude that would Paul somebody Would somebody with no body cause a miracle to keep the party going? <laughs> right, right. No. Or, or just like wash people's feet. No, that's, a, that's, that's by and about and four bodies. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so this this thing that Paul's expressing seems like very, very fundamental to Christianity to me. Mm. That like just the body is is terrible and the world is terrible and you're just living for like the spirit and God and going to heaven. Um, and it's really not like that in the Gospels. Mm. Not that it's... A hundred percent different. It's not like diametrically opposed to this or whatever. No. But it's different. It's different. Jesus wouldn't be at that party calling for shots if he thought that the body was the source of all sin. And he certainly wouldn't be making the wine like... Top notch. Yeah. That's what I'm saying about that story. That's why it's one of the most illustrative stories in the Gospels for me. It's not just um, like, it's not just that Jesus isn't afraid of dirt, right? He's not afraid to touch people's feet. He's Mm -hmm. not afraid to touch lepers. Not, he doesn't want to wash his hands. He doesn't want to wash his hands. But it's also that he is like in favor of pleasure. There's no there's nothing about sexual pleasure, certainly, at all in the Gospels. But 
Unless. He eats, he drinks all the time. Mm-hmm. He has like the last supper, you know, mm-hmm. like he's accused of drinking too much and he creates wine everlasting for a party. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like this splits off from that. Interesting. Interesting. Um, and then uh, there's this famous quote that I just, if God is for us, who can be against us? You're probably not even aware of that Bible verse. It's a famous one. And then he ends the chapter with, um, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Pretty badass sentence. It's not bad. I think we should take a break. I agree. We're going to take a quick break. You're going to hear some music, and we'll be back in about a minute. Bye. Bye. Welcome back to Sunday School Dropouts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Nico. And Hello. I didn't see you there. <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> I was just organizing my money collection. <laughs> Your money collection? Uh, we are talking about the Book of Romans. And it's been a little weird so far. And it's about to get weirder. I haven't been comfortable. That's for sure. Oh, that's because you're sitting on a pile of swords. Oh, that's for sexual reasons. <laughs> oh, Sorry. Didn't mean to kink shame you on the podcast. Um, In real life, that's my kink. What if kink shaming you was my kink? What if that was my kink? If your kink was me kink shaming you? Mm -hmm. Oh, shit. (laughs) This is like... Hey, everybody. exactly what Paul was talking about with all this paradoxical shit. Hey, everybody. What if your kink was being kink shamed? Write in and explain. In great detail. Mm -hmm. To Nico only. (laughs) <laughs> what if your kink was writing in and explaining how your kink is being kink shamed? That's like every man's kink. Okay. Um things are going to get weirder. And <laughs> not just cuz we're talking about stupid shit, but because stupid shit. Paul is going to get into some really weird distinctions about Jews. <laughs> yes. He's like, okay, so it's it's weird because you would not guess from reading this that Paul was Jewish. No, not at all. Certainly not that he's from like a priestly class, mm-hmm. which he apparently is. Or so he says in Acts. He says like, okay, Jews are God's chosen people. And he made like a covenant with them mm-hmm. and stuff. But not every Jew is like truly like a son of Abraham or like a son of Israel. 
because like some are wicked or whatever. So right. It's like a no true Scotsman, but like no true Jew, no true Israelite. Okay. Um, and he quotes that line uh, from back in the Old Testament that's like, I have reserved 7,000. Yes. That are true to that's me. like the remnant yeah. right and so like when that was happening in the old testament when the prophets were talking about the remnant they were talking about people who would jews who would come back from the babylonian exile and recreate the nation of judah which was like just a uh, it was just a political construction yes because there were jews left when the babylonian exile happened yes it's but just they that, weren't like the ruling class right. or the priestly class but paul is like Oh, that remnant, that's like more symbolic. That's just about like the true Israelites who are who are followers of Jesus, mm-hmm. Jew or Gentile. Right. So what's important is following Jesus. That's what makes you righteous. It's so funny that all I mean, like I know it's not already because this is after thousands of years of Jewish history. Mm-hmm. But the first thing that this new Christian church does is be like this part of the Old Testament is literal. This part is symbolic. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And that's also like, I mean, you saw that in the Gospels too, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, Jesus has to like steal a donkey or whatever. Well, that has to be literal. Yeah. But, gonna but symbolically this thing that was meant to be about, literal, that was symbolic. Right. Yeah. Fig tree stuff is symbolic. Right. Donkey stuff is literal. Right. And donkey stuff is not my gink. <laughs> Thank God. Because <laughs> that's just like expensive and really messy. Fig trees. <laughs> Nasty fig boys. <laughs> Um, he's like, okay. He's like, okay. <laughs> Paul is like, okay, guys, like, <laughs> sit down. This is really complicated. Um, the quote is, since since Jews did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own by Jewish law, they did not submit to God's righteousness. I don't get that already, but okay, go ahead. It doesn't. It contradicts what he says, but. He seems to think that he's found like a good like loophole in here or something because he goes he just ping pongs back and forth between the law is righteous and Jews are God's chosen people and then goes right back to but the law is not truly righteous only believing in Jesus is righteous. Well isn't it that that humans are weak and so no human can follow the law perfectly so the law has value but its human expression has no value because humans can never perfectly follow the law. Yeah, that's, I think, I think that's right. And I think we just cracked the code. <laughs> we just solved we'll the see Bible. We'll you next week on Sunday School. Um, then there's this verse that's, um, that is really fundamental to Christianity that you hear repeated a lot, which is just if you confess. How is everything fundamental to Christianity? This book like contains like, everything is built off of like Paul's writings. So like, all the doctrines he's laying out here are like what the church decided to put in the canon and build on. Well, the church built its home on a boring swamp. <laughs> no, they built it on a, a rock and the rock is Jesus and Peter. That's why his name is The Rock and Dwayne Johnson. And Well, Dwayne Johnson. Now that's a charismatic performer. You build your. You could build, build a Bible your, on that. You could build a church on that. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you could build a church on those abs. <laughs> I go every week. Paul says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is like used very literally in mm. Protestantism. That, like, so you're supposed to like say that exact thing. 
Yes. Mm. I mean, as some some churches do that, like that you have to say that exact thing. And um, it's like in Protestantism, this is like one of the verses that sort of proves that that works don't get you into heaven, I just see. faith. Whereas Catholicism is like kind of splits the difference. They're like works count for something. Faith counts for something. Really? But doesn't he specifically talk about works versus faith in this book? Yes. And he like I can see why Martin Luther was like, well, if you read Paul. It's really nothing about works. I see. Nobody had been reading the fucking Bible. But like if you read the Gospels, Jesus says stuff about works. He does. So. Like giving away all your money, washing up them feats. And like helping the least of these. You know, that's like very explicitly in in Matthew 25. It's like if you do this, you go to heaven. Mm -hmm. If you do this, you go to hell. He doesn't say if you confess that I died in a transactional sacrifice (laughs) for you, you know. Yeah, no, I don't know why that's funny to me. But No, but it's funny because it's it's so not intuitive. Like nobody would ever say that. Nobody would ever like You could never tell a story about a prophet that came back or came from God and said to you, "Hey, if you tell the world that you believe in me because I died in a transactional sacrifice and there was this for your bodily sins." Metaphysical mechanism by which your sins were transferred to me. Mm-hmm. And like the ledger, <laughs> that's already a bad story. And that, like, and we had to do it that way because just that's otherwise it just couldn't be done. You know, like the, just the nature of the universe doesn't allow you to do it any other way. That's such a bad story. And Nobody yet, would hear that story. And yet, it became the most popular religion. You know, but that's not the story that's in the Gospels. And I mean, that's and that's the thing that they were selling, right? It's not, but every single Christian today believes that. Well, I don't know. I don't know how to explain that to you, my dear. It's weird. This next chapter, chapter 11, this is the weirdest one in terms of Jews versus Gentiles. Mm -hmm. And clearly they've been weird leading up to it. But I think this one is the weirdest. Where he says that like, um, he says, because of Jews transgressions, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. So like Jews fucking up brought gentiles to jesus but then gentiles coming to jesus will make jews also come to jesus Mm -hmm. so this again seems a little unnecessarily complicated it does however what it does sound like is one of the games that the old testament god played with israel all the time that's true and and he does paul does make specific reference to um god hardening pharaoh's heart Mm -hmm. and he's like yeah like I like I like God used Pharaoh. Um, he can harden anyone's heart for any purpose. That's his prerogative. Or and, all of the armies that God brought in to overrun Israel. Yeah. Well, at the exact same time saying, hey, just to be clear, I'm going to get revenge on these armies for destroying my favorite people. But first, I'm going to make them destroy you. Yes. And then that's supposed to be the, the lesson of the story. I don't yes. know. But that's one of those obtuse, uh, non-intuitive lessons. That, that is repeated over and over and over in the Old Testament. That's what reminds. That's what this reminds me of. You know what? That's a good point, and um, that's a really good point. I mean, because that is that's just a damn good point. That's just a damn good cup of coffee, baby. Put me on the board. <laughs> You're a good point. <laughs> I mean, that is the background that Paul's coming from, right? If he's if he's a Pharisee, he's, supposedly, yeah. That's he probably, quotes Old Testament, and he all does the time. quote. Yeah, he does quote the prophets um, several times in this book. And he also says, though, um, Gentiles, like, don't get cocky 
Because like you're a branch grafted on a holy tree. Because we're going to circumcise you. <laughs> we're going to circumcise you. And you wouldn't be there if it weren't for the tree, even if the tree like lost most of its branches that were already on it. Right. And then I'm confused because he says he hopes that he can save a few Jews by converting them to Jesus mm-hmm. because that's the only way you can be saved. Um, but then he also says that all Israel will be saved because God made a covenant with them. And this is just a temporary hardening of this, their hearts. This stuff in a that makes no sense to me. Like Babylonian. I don't, I don't understand how thing. you can have it both ways. This, I think, is the like. I think this is this particular point is like his least successful attempt to have it both ways. Uh, but um, and by having it both ways, I mean, how can you believe that all of the Old Testament is true, and like was divinely inspired and was about a relationship between a people and the true God, uh-huh. and believe that Jesus now holds the only keys to salvation yeah and all of the old stuff will get you close but not close enough and like yeah. you need to accept you need to like jump across this final chasm yeah and the to chasm get to actual salvation is very large and very different from all the other obstacles that you've and remarkably inconsistent seems yes like. yeah because the dude told you to do one thing but now paul's telling you to do something else yeah. Yeah, break that down for me, huh? I can't. It's weird. It's weird. But anyway, you were saying that this was maybe not the most successful time he's tried to have it. Well, I just think some of the other ones um, sort of make sense in the way that paradoxes make sense. Yeah. I um, mean, yeah, on a spiritual level. On a spiritual level. Yeah. Or on like an intellectual level. You're supposed to accept that there are unknown unknowns. Yeah. But for this particular thing where he's like, all Israel will be saved. And then also like, I hope I can just save a few Jews. Mm -hmm. Those, that paradox doesn't work to me. That's just like sloppy. No, he's trying to be, be, he's trying to be. That's just a sloppy Joe. (laughs) That's just sloppy Jim. He's trying to be big Bible boy and Uh say, you know, and say, everybody's going to get saved uh like prophecy style. But he's also trying to be like politic man, like real world style. And be like, I'd love to save some of these Jews. So it's the, the age-old tension between big Bible boy and politic man. Mm-hmm. You know, One that is rife in the Bible. And and relevant to this very day. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> that closes most of the theological Thank sections of the this The sweet Lord epistle. above that we don't have to do that anymore. Then he starts just um, giving a little advice to, like, you know, the Christian community in Rome. Newlyweds, yeah. Um, Yeah, he's like, after a thousand years, (laughs) you might need to introduce snake play. (laughs) Um, No, he says, um, in Christ we are many who form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And then he says, like... Well, he basically says from each according to his abilities. You know, he says if if people are good at teaching, they should teach. If they're good at comforting, they should comfort, you know. Um, gives them some little life hacks, you know, like love each other, practice hospitality, don't take revenge on each other. Yeah, like whatever. the first hour when you get home, turn your phone off and put it in the closet. Um, what what kind of life hack is that? Oh, it's just it's about like, you know, mindfulness and oh, presence mindfulness. and stuff. Oh, I thought it was like. So, you know, like, so the government can't track you or whatever. No, no, no. It's about putting your work life in the closet when you get home so that you focus. Oh, okay. Okay, I see. Because, like, your work life is gay but doesn't feel ready to acknowledge it yet? I mean, yes, my work life is super gay. (laughs) Okay. But will not acknowledge it. Okay. Well, 
We'll work on it. Chapter 13, I've never encountered before. This was, okay, this is like not that weird, but it seemed the weirdest of this whole book to me. Okay. He says that like Christians should accept all government authority um, and pay your taxes. He explicitly yes. says, this is the direct quote, pay taxes for the authorities are God's servants. There's some very weird stuff in here. And and it says not only that you should pay taxes, but that every authority that exists was, was put, put there, there by, by God. God. And so obeying God means obeying every authority. Yes. Super weird because A, that's not what we saw in the Old Testament. No, people went against the authorities all the time because the authorities were often corrupt. And trying to force them to worship idols. Yes. That's also not what we saw in the Gospels. Not what we saw in the Gospels and not even what we saw in Paul's life in Acts. In the in Acts story, Because he's yeah. always going to jail. Yeah, he's he has a life in opposition to the authorities. I mean, it's not not the governmental authorities, though, I guess. Right? He's more like... Well, I mean, in the end, Rome forgets what they were trying to charge him for. So, <laughs> I suppose... But I, that seems like an... Like just chance rather than <laughs> it just seems like bad filing. Yeah. <laughs> um but I mean he's more like against Jewish cultural and religious authority mm. than like governmental authority per se. But the way it's phrased it's weird and also completely a hundred percent gone from American Christianity. Really? Obviously the Christian right has never respected like a, a Democrat mm -hmm. in authority. And are, like, against paying taxes, generally. Um, and, you know, on the left, you also have, you know, like, um, like black churches were very fundamental to, like, the civil rights movement. Sure. Which is, you know, like, going against government authority. Um, obviously, I personally agree with one of those and don't agree with the other. Yeah. But, like, in both cases, like, just there. Yeah, we know about your opposition to civil rights. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. <clears throat> They should have just gone with Paul. You know, they should have just paid their taxes. No, but but yeah, like I had no idea this was in the Bible because it's it's so foreign to me it's, it's so in terms of any form of American Christianity that I've ever been aware of. It's so strange, too, because Christianity at the at the beginning in, in the Gospels seems so defined by its opposition to authority. Yes, although not necessarily governmental authority again. Oh. More like Jewish cultural and religious authority. Um. Another thing I've never encountered in American Christianity. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe a little bit more. But... Snake play. <laughs> um, he goes into this big, this big thing about how like the different ways that people worship don't necessarily say anything about how strong their faith is. Hmm. So he says like some people have dietary restrictions that they consider holy and some people don't. And he says, personally, I don't believe that any food is unclean. But if like Jewish... Christians want to eat kosher, that's great. That's fine. And he's like, well, actually, he says the example he gives is vegetarianism. Yes. He says some people who don't eat meat are considered weak. Yeah. Meaning like you would think that if they're like following some dietary restriction for holiness, that they would be strong because right. they're like restricting what they eat. But they could be that could just be like. They could be weak in their faith and just doing this stupid vegetarianism thing. Like me, I'm a fucking atheist vegetarian. <gasps> no. Uh, <laughs> Why did you tell me? <laughs> Maybe I have some bad news for you. After all these years. Um, 
just been spinning the stake into the planter all these years. <laughs> yep. You know what spitting plants the, love? Meat. Spitting the stake into the planter. That's what the, they call it these days. It's an Emmy or memoir. Um, yeah, but he says, like, it's, he just says there's no, like, correlation, mm. right? Like, you can do that stuff or not do it, and you could be strong in your faith or weak in your faith, doesn't matter. Which is weird. I don't know. That's That seems like something that is um, present in, like, modern sort of uh, liberal American Christianity. It does seem very liberal. But I didn't know that, that you would find any sort of live or let live thing like that so directly in the scriptures. <clears throat> he says, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Very strange. Yeah. All of this theology is... That's why I'm saying, if this is a masterwork of his theology, are you just supposed to ignore parts of it? Like, I don't get it. <laughs> um, Traditionally, if you have a masterwork of something, you consider it all as a as a whole, rather than just, like, focus in on key parts of it, and then, like, oh, these other parts were written for politics, and they don't mean anything. <laughs> uh, I don't know. We might do that with more masterworks than we realize. You know what? I think that's absolutely fair, because as soon as I said that, I was thinking about you know, the masterpieces of cinema, for example, that had to make compromises because of whatever reason, sure, political or otherwise, that we still enjoy quite a bit. So I don't know. But you know what the difference between cinema and theology is? What? One of them sends you to hell and the other one doesn't. Cinema sends you to hell. That's right, baby. With terrible movies such as Cars 2 or... Cars 3. Or... Planes. <laughs> Boats five, <laughs> boat fast, boat furious. Um, so then Paul starts wrapping up the letter. You know, like anyway, that's with the acknowledgement section. Well, the best first, part of every well, letter. Well, first is like you know, I just wanted to let you guys know all this stuff. You know, um, uh, I want to come visit. Paul. I want to come visit Rome soon. You know, like I said, but I'm like planning this trip to Spain right now, and it's like you know, Rome is so beautiful, and like there's so much history there, but like. I've never been to Spain. It's also like really beautiful and you can get like tapas and, mm-hmm. you know, like <laughs> stay out all night. People eat dinner at midnight. What? And it's like, I just think it would be like really good, like on my Instagram and stuff. Um, first, I got to stop by like Jerusalem real but quick. We established already that very little in this period of time was done for the gram. Oh, yeah, you're right. We have established that. <laughs> you're right. I take it back. Paul was not concerned about his Instagram. He was way more into Vine. R.I.P. Vine. R.I.P. Vine. Um, it died for our sins. So, yeah, th- th- that's, you know, he's just like wrapping it up. Um, and we, know, of course, know that he's never going to get to Spain because he's going to be locked up in Rome, ironically. Um, <clears throat> then he, then we got to roll the credits. Um, specific people in Rome mm-hmm. that he wants to give a shout out to, mm-hmm. uh, including but not limited to Phoebe. Priscilla and Aquila, my dear friend Epnetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Bam. Um, Urbanus, Stychus, Apelles, tested and approved in Christ. Tested and approved in Christ. That's what they used to have on the bottom of the, oh, the kicks. Of life cereal. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah kick cereal. <laughs> Kid tested, Jesus approved. <laughs> uh, Tryphena and Tryphosa, Rufus and his mother. And who could forget... A syncretous, phlegon, philologus, and Julia. Mm-hmm. I couldn't. Not even if I tried. Um, <clears throat> he says, I urge you, brothers, 
to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. Now, this indicates Hmm. that there's some sort of internal power struggle in the church, because he's saying, like, I know someone else has been teaching you different doctrines about Jesus. Mm. Don't listen to them. Mm -hmm. They're just in it for their own ego. I'm the one giving you the straight dope. Mm -hmm. That's what it's called, right? The straight dope? That's what something is called. Okay. Um, According to Bart Ehrman in those books I read, um, How how Jesus Became God and... um, uh, How God Became Jesus. (laughs) How God Became Jesus. He was talking about... He thinks... That um, it was it was Peter <gasps> that he's in conflict with. Peter versus Paul. Yeah, a conflict for the ages. Yeah, cage match of the fucking century, bro. Whether it's Peter or not, this is the clear indication that there's a power struggle. So we're talking about like this is what the church decided to build on. Mm-hmm. Like this is what they chose to put in the canon. There's a whole other there's a whole separate separate style that, that we're not seeing. Ooh. Historians may know more about that, but I, as far as I know, that's But they're not that's talking. <laughs> they're keeping the secret. It's like the Da Vinci Code. Mm-hmm. They're having, you know, whatever weird. Historians hate this one secret book. <laughs> it's the Gospel of Mary. No, um, there's some secret hidden shit, and maybe it's better than this. I don't know. That's good. I like that. Um, <clears throat> Then he's got to wrap up. The second him, part of the credits. Get him hooked. Get him hooked. Get him hooked in that mystery. Love Paul and Timothy and Lucius and Jason. Uh, you could just say Paul at all. So, so Sipiter, Tertices, Gaius, Erastus, the city's director of public works, Aquantis. That's like when you thank the city of Toronto. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> city of Toronto Film Council. And that's the end of Romans. So the main things that we learned, which I feel like we didn't quite articulate, is that Paul says, like, faith not works saves you. Yeah. Faith that God sent Jesus to die as a sacrifice for human sins. That's what saves you. I feel like you expressed that. But the the problem for me is that that is such a strange thing. Yeah. That like when you try to express it, I my mind immediately rebels and is like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like, why would that be the one thing? Why fact, would that be the one thing? As opposed to something that has anything to do with a person's life. It's weird that like you can sort of the rest of Christianity <laughs> more or less makes sense. Uh-huh. Um, like, I mean, obviously neither of us believes in a God, but it more or less makes sense to I mean believing in the god as laid out in the gospels and certain portions of the old testament would make a certain amount of sense. Right. I mean like it's certainly not like a crazy idea that there's like a a higher power, right? That's, no, not at all. Um the idea of like doing good things and doing bad things um, and that that being approved of by some sort of higher power yeah. it seems like a, a I mean that's all like basic religion stuff that yeah. all makes sense as a way to organize a society Mm -hmm. um the idea of jesus as like a great teacher who committed a great act of sacrifice as an example to everybody more or less makes sense i agree 
And it seems like a very effective way to get across this message of radical forgiveness and charity yes. and love. Yes. Like, like giving, yeah, loving. Giving everything of yourself. Exactly. Being the the best thing that you can possibly do. Yeah. Um, which isn't necessarily a, a value I want to espouse or encourage in a society, but makes a certain amount of sense. Um, then we get into this whole bizarre. Now we're arguing about like fucking terminology and paul even uses like the terminology he uses is like that of like debt right it's like all about this is like the fucking yakuza trying to keep you locked up at the hostess bar because he's like you broke a bottle of champagne and you're gonna work that off yes that's an analogy i deeply relate to Mm -hmm. so should we write this book we should absolutely write this book how would you write this book I will give it two out of nine wages of sin. Two out of nine? That's quite low. It is quite low. And I'll tell, me, tell you why. It's a book of theology that uh, doesn't make any sense uh, to me, personally. Or to, yeah. Um, it seems to have a lot of internal contradictions, and it may or may not. And I, I profess to not being, you know, a, a true student of the text. Sure. I've read it once. Uh, as a casual reader, mm-hmm. didn't it made me a casual more casual dater? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I don't either. It made my eyes glaze over a little more than my heart fill with the power of Christ. Would you say that it was like um, something like scales covered your eyes? I would say that something like scales covered my eyes. So that's like maybe that was Paul's whole thing. Because that's how he came to Christianity. Mm. Maybe he was trying to scale your eyes. Mm-hmm. And then in the next book, Ananias will touch you and you'll convert. Well, I eagerly look forward to that. <laughs> I could use the touch of a human hand. Um, <laughs> but I also have criticisms about the language. Um, it's very plain. They're, uh, it's like in my opinion, it's Greek philosophy style, yeah. not like Bible poetry style. Yeah, and I really prefer the Bible poetry style. I mean, if I'm going to get incomprehensible theological garbage, mm-hmm. give me it in Old Testament poetry At style. Least throw some locusts in there. Yeah, give me some metaphors that I would not have expected because I don't live an agrarian life in zero <laughs> AD, you know? Sure. Give me something to connect to that is surprising or interesting. This gives me none of that. The only things that are surprising or interesting are like his logical leaps saying, you know, Jesus would have wanted this. And I'm like, well, I just read the Gospels. And unless you have a bunch of more like secret books that you didn't tell me about, like, I don't see how that's true. (laughs) Yeah. Which he probably did have a bunch of fucking secret books. Yeah. Well, so did the people who wrote the Gospels. Gotta get these secret books. There's a whole bunch of secret books. What? Yeah, that we don't have access to. Fuck. Can we get on this secret book train? Well, we are. We we will try. I want to be a big Bible boy. We will try. Well, I want to be a politic man. (laughs) Um, I'm going to give it two out of seven grafted branches. Okay. Um, Brafted branches? Yeah. (laughs) I think Zach brafted branches. (laughs) I think that I'm a little... You think you're a little girl. Mm -hmm. (laughs) A little Bible girl. I think I'm a little less hostile toward it than you are. Okay. um, Just because I'm 
like acclimatized to it. Okay. Um, and the language is like extremely familiar to me because it's how everybody writes. I see. Everybody like it's like being swaddled in the cloth of your youth. Yeah, it's just like very very familiar. Um, like I said, like the ideas are things that I took for granted when I was Christian, but revisiting them now so many years later, it is like, what the fuck? Why? What? How? Why would this be the? This doesn't. This doesn't make sense. And I think like some of the value that I've um been taking from the Bible as we've read through it as an atheist is like metaphorical. Mm-hmm. Um and I just like as a metaphor, this is like way too technical to be interesting to me. I agree. Like, I agree. It has to be either literally true and like good advice. God is like keeping track of sins in one category in one column and debts and carrying the one and sending Jesus down or like just say yeah Jesus loved us and and died trying to help us mm. so you know? I was thinking it would either be realistic like Ecclesiastes is good advice for life oh uh-huh you know sure. or it's a it's powerful metaphors sure you know that uh, have like a spiritual nature like an un- incomprehensible Element right, right, them. right. So, like, those are two things that I would find value in. And what I'm saying is the only way that I would find value in this is mm. if it were literally true. <laughs> I see. And like, that's literally the only way that you can get to heaven, mm. which is what the general Christian view is, you know? Well, if this is the only way you get to heaven, this is pretty weak stuff. Wow. That's so crazy. Like, it's so crazy to be able to just say that out loud. I don't know. <laughs> It still feels so forbidden to me <laughs> to hear you say that out loud. I'm like, we well, can't phrase it like that. You have to put in a little more obfuscation than that. <laughs> but I guess you don't. Well, I'm glad I can still thrill you after all these years, <laughs> my dear. You know, Even if snake play. <laughs> Shut up. We don't talk about that on the show. Before we wrap up tonight, there's just one more thing we need to do, which is Crack open the mailbag. Crack it open. Crack, 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 crack open the mailbag. And check out what's inside. I guess it's letters. Um, Listener Zach wrote in to recommend the musical Jesus Christ Superstar, which actually neither of us has ever seen. So we should watch it. Um, And to ask if we'll be covering the Gospel of Judas, we will be trying to cover some apocryphal Gospels. We'll see what happens. We'll see if those boys give us their secret books. And um, Zach also uh, sent us a very bad and cute tuxedo cat curse, but did not divulge her name. Which means the curse will only be halfway effective. Come on, people. We need to know cat names in order to curse them properly. It's as if nobody has ever cursed anything before. Our listener Emily wrote in to say that even though it's not a Christian Bible study podcast, as we say every single episode, she is a Christian and is learning a lot about the Bible. Also, she's catching up and had to listen to five Minor Prophet episodes this week. I'm so sorry. So Which sorry. So sorry. She also sent us two furry jerks to curse, Derby and Peter Biscuits. Aww. Uh, listener Ben wrote in to tell us he's a student at a Presbyterian seminary pursuing degrees in divinity and counseling. A real live current presbo. Mm-hmm. He said, it is very easy for me to hear from other Christians who agree with me, but I don't have many opportunities to hear from differing perspectives while in seminary. Your show has helped keep me balanced in knowing what people think of the Bible 
And he also said, your perspectives have certainly shaped the way I preach. Ben, this letter is amazing. Thank you so much for sending it. And I hope that your uh, uh, congregants like hearing about Nasty Fig Boys. Mm -hmm. Because that's all we got. (laughs) It's literally all we have to offer. Our listener Maggie wrote in, she's another ex-Presbyterian who has found the podcast therapeutic. She also sent us a tuxedo cat, not a, she didn't send us a cat. She sent us a photo of a tuxedo cat. She sent us the the concept of a cat. Really? The image of a cat. The mental image and the digital image of a tuxedo cat. I feel like you might be overthinking this. The cat's name is Slinky. He knocks over water glasses and scratches the edge of the bed just as you're falling asleep. Gotta curse that boy. Uh, Listener Sean sends us a very good old dog. Oh, tremendous old dog. Named Enzo, who can't run like he used to. And also in the picture that Sean sent, there's there's another dog and cat in the photo, but we don't know who they are. I assume they're not for us. We're just going to focus on Enzo. Mm -hmm. To these cursed cats, nameless tuxedo cat, Derby, or Darby, Peter Biscuits, and Slinky, I say... Since these cats did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind and to things that should not be done. They were filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, craftiness. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, haughty, boastful inventors of evil, and rebellious towards parents. (laughs) That was the harshest and yet most accurate cat curse we've ever had on this podcast thank you and uh this is for enzo enzo's a good dog may the may the god of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the holy spirit tremendous doggo that will do it for tonight's episode thank you again for joining us apologies about last week we got sick can't talk and need a voice to talk on podcast. One of the main things you need for a podcast. You can follow the show on Twitter at Sunschool Drop. You can find us on Facebook at Sunday School Dropouts. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Lauren E. O'Neill. O'Neill spelled like Shaquille spells it. You can find all of the original music from the show as well as anything else that I'm doing musically at soundcloud.com slash Nico Bakulich. That's N-I-K-O. B-A-K-U-L-I-C-H. <laughs> uh, if you want, we would be really super, super appreciative and thankful if you would give us five stars on iTunes, like some of the following heroes. Uh, J.P. McSqueezy gave us 10 out of 10. Liars killed by Peter. Suck on that, Ananias. Orintello gave us five out of five. Tricky Canaanite women. Uh, Sarah Vaughn gave us seven out of seven signs, parentheses, from the book of John. <laughs> and the promised land. Oh, that's clever. Described us as the Bible for people who don't bibble. Um, also, Canadian listeners, Chris and Robin wrote in. Uh, Chris is an ex-Christian and Robin was raised a heathen, quote unquote. And they screenshotted their iTunes reviews for us because we can't see Canadian iTunes. They kindly gave us 13 out of 11 Joabs and 8 out of, ta- eight, out of 18 skateboard scorpions. Um if you live in Canada, the UK, somewhere else that isn't the United States, screenshot your review and send it to us because it'll count toward the total of 100 reviews that will cause Nico to join Twitter. And we're over 70 somewhere. An arbitrary goal I don't understand the point of. 
You're the one who set the number, so you have to live by it. Is there any way I can blame God for this? Um, They also ended their email with the very Canadian sentence, watch out for those dugongs, eh? And on that note... Hey, buddy. We love you. We will see you on Sunday. And watch out for those dugongs, eh? Watch out for those dugongs, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.